Hello, and welcome to the JCR, a Massey podcast, where people and ideas intersect. I'm Paranjal Tuari, a junior fellow here at Massey College, and today I'm joined by Otuto Chukwu. Um, thank you, Pranjao. My name is Otuto Maruche Chukwu. I'm also a junior fellow here at Massey College, and I'm currently doing my PhD in health policy at the University of Toronto. Well, thanks for joining me, and we will be talking about public health policy around cancer treatment, something you know quite a bit about. Your research focused on the situation in Nigeria, but there are some parallels that we can find in the situation in Canada as well, and we'll talk about that uh, later on. So to start off, say I unfortunately have stomach cancer as an example. What kind of symptoms would I have? Okay, so you probably feel like it's something minor, something similar to an occasional stomach upset. So you could feel something like indigestion or heartburn, pain or discomfort in the abdomen, diarrhea or constipation, bloating, stuff like that. You could be treating these symptoms with over-the-counter medications without knowing that it is a cancer brewing inside of you. By the time you get to the doctor and go through the hassles of increased wait times, workforce shortages and all of that, you may have advanced. Even if you see a doctor and some tests are recommended, you still have a considerable amount of time to wait before your test results come in. It's, say I was lucky enough to go to a doctor and um, they think I do have stomach cancer with the symptoms that I gave you, which actually seem pretty mild. What is the process for patients after that point, after they are diagnosed by a doctor? Yeah, so the doctor you'd go to will likely be a primary care physician or a general practitioner, depending on the setting. The doctor could also be naively treating your symptoms as maybe a simple stomach upset. And in this period, you're losing time. You may finally get referred to oncology, where you will be properly diagnosed. And if it's cancer, then of course, you should commence treatments. But then again, are the treatments you need available? How long would you have to wait? So these are some of the things to consider. And these are some of the things happening in the process right now. Uh, this is the process in Nigeria. But is it the same in Canada as well? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. So um, last week I was um, reading an article of something that happened last year about the government in British Columbia sending cancer patients to the U.S. for treatment due to long wait times and a backlog of cases of treatment. So it's, it's pretty much the same everywhere. The workforce shortages happens in Nigeria, happens in Canada. So the process is pretty much the same. So this you know, makes you think about the backlog and how people are faring. And, you know, if it's an aggressive form of cancer, for instance, many of them would have gotten to the stage where it is incurable and will probably only take a miracle. And many would have lost their lives while waiting for the backlog to, to clear. So um, also last month, I read about the case of a cancer patient here in Ontario who was waiting to be seen by a physician and didn't get to because they finally passed. Um, so there's a need to address, you know, this growing burden of cancer, which is the second highest killer disease in the world right now. Well, what's wrong with the process? Uh, I understand that there is a shortage of workers, but is it the fact that we don't have enough workers that's the problem, or it's simply that there's something along the road a patient takes to get treatment? Is that the problem? Yeah, so it's, it's a myriad of problems, and... Um, um, I'm more inclined to the second thing you said about the process. So, for instance, currently screening and diagnosis can take too long for certain groups of patients. 
especially those that have limited access to healthcare facilities and specialized care for diseases like cancer. So, of course, the work, workforce shortage you mentioned as well. There is also severe workforce shortages all over the world. And people may not even think it's worth a doctor's time to hear how they have a relatively mild you know, problem, which could eventually turn out to be a cancer. Most importantly is also the issue of high-quality healthcare systems. Up till now, according to the Lancet Commission report on high-quality healthcare systems, little is known about the quality of cancer care. And this means that the delivery of cancer care, the trust people have on the delivery of this care, and the adaptability of this care to complex and changing healthcare landscapes is currently suboptimal at best. Okay. Well, how can it be improved upon? So we would need um, system-wide reforms that are structural and act upon the very foundations of the healthcare systems, from the providers to the policymakers to financing, and you know, being innovative in our approach. Um, there's a lot that needs to be done, and this is where my research is focusing on, especially one of the components, which is the healthcare providers. I'm looking at how we can build collaborative models of care to improve access to cancer control and care. So I'm focusing on how to integrate pharmacists into cancer care. Community pharmacists, for instance, are highly trained, but they are severely underutilized. They are, in most cases, in Nigeria, in Canada, most other places, they are the first part of call for minor ailments, and they are ubiquitous, they are everywhere. So they can provide critical services that can help in early detection and treatment for cancer. That is what I'm trying to find out, you know, how we can incorporate pharmacists and utilize their expertise, because training more specialized cancer doctors will take years, but if we can build the capacity of pharmacists and use them efficiently, we can improve access to things like screening and diagnosis and even palliative care and survivorship. So we free up time for cancer doctors to focus on other tasks. This strategy, we call it tax shifting or tax sharing, and it has worked for other diseases and it could work for cancer as well. I see. So there's a wider systemic problem, but one solution for it that should make things easier is just add pharmacists. Yes, it's to task share. So I'm looking at pharmacists. So there are other healthcare professionals. There are nurses, there are other healthcare professionals, but I'm specifically looking at pharmacists because they are highly trained, and but they are severely underutilized. So how can we utilize them more to improve the cancer care process and experience for patients? I suppose you would know. You used to be a pharmacist. Yes, I'm, I'm still a pharmacist. Oh, right. Yeah, so um, based on my knowledge and um, by hypothesis, I can say that this could help and uh, also what's happening in other places. But then I can't just hypothesize and just use that and run with it. So I need to like build evidence around it to show that it works. Okay. You said this process where pharmacists become the first line uh, for a patient was used for other diseases. Which, which are other diseases? So they've been used for diseases like HIV. They've been used for diseases like, um, so HIV is a communicable disease, but they've also been used for non-communicable diseases like cancer, for instance, hypertension, for instance, diabetes. And, you know, studies have shown that care provided by pharmacists is equal to, and in most cases, better than the usual care for diabetes and for hypertension. So if it can work for such diseases, it could also work for cancer, but we need to find out. I see. So say I have diabetes and I go into a pharmacy, can they actually prescribe me medication for it? So, so um, in the Canadian context, it depends. So I know that pharmacists in Alberta can prescribe, 
But if you go to a pharmacy, for instance, and you're suspecting diabetes, you can get a screening test done there. So they can check your blood sugar level, they can do a random blood sugar test, or they can order a fasting blood sugar or a glycated hemoglobin, more diagnostic tests. So when it's confirmed, they can actually prescribe. So it depends on the setting. So if it's in a place like Alberta, where they are fully licensed to prescribe, then they could. But in Ontario, maybe not. Diabetes and hypertension, its they are not cancer. I feel like cancer is... How are pharmacists able to screen for cancers as well as an oncologist, for example? If you give them the right training, the tools and the resources, um, screening and diagnostic services can be offered in community pharmacies. Um, again, like this is what I'm looking into as part of my research and how best it should be structured and implemented. But it is something that could be done going by some emerging evidence. In the European Union, we see some countries using pharmacies for screening and diagnosis of certain cancers, and evidence shows that it works. So this is something we need to explore a little bit more and then use it to develop models of care that can use pharmacies to improve access to cancer care. This screening, is it just a box with a test inside of it and you get tested for some sort of cancer? Like how, how complicated is this test? So it depends on the kind of cancer. So for instance, if it's breast cancer, you need something like a mammogram or a breast scan. So that you may not be able to do in the conventional community pharmacy setting. You might need to go to a radiologist or a, radio, a radiotherapy center or something that has a mammogram or yeah, that, that can give you a mammogram. But for cancers like maybe lung cancer, maybe colorectal cancer, for, for prostate cancer, where you need to check the, the levels of the prostate-specific antigen, some of this can be done in the pharmacy. So again, cancer, almost every part of our body could develop a cancer, right? So it's a very complex disease. So this makes it important for us to have some nuance in our approach to, you know, combating this disease. Well, what are the, some of the drawbacks for pharmacists? Okay, so this will be determined by pharmacists themselves. Like, again, this is what I'm trying to find out. I can hypothesize, but um, we need to find out. So we need to make sure that the motivation is there. That could be a drawback because if they are not adequately motivated, they wouldn't do the job. Uh, we need to find out what we need to do to keep this motivation up. You know, for instance, remuneration, proper delineation of roles between pharmacies, oncologists, and other healthcare providers, and, you know, structuring interventions in a way that is based on evidence from pharmacies, from cancer doctors, and even policymakers. you know. Some of the drawbacks are mainly going to be determined by the pharmacies themselves and the way the system is structured. So if we structure it well and we keep them motivated, we keep them well remunerated, and we consider all the policy options there and implement them very well, then these drawbacks wouldn't be drawbacks anymore. They would rather be enablers. Has this plan been implemented, and what are the results? Sadly, currently there is no comprehensive plan, to the best of my knowledge, in most countries, including Canada and you know back home in Nigeria. However, we are seeing some evidence coming out of countries in the European Union, like I mentioned, that are using pharmacies in various stages of the cancer care continuum. So, for instance, in Switzerland and in Spain, community pharmacies screen for complex cancers like colorectal cancer which has been shown to, you know, based on evidence, contribute to decreased mortality and morbidity from, from that disease, from colorectal cancer. In Belgium and the Netherlands, for instance, um, cancer patients are assigned a family pharmacist, what they call a pharma body, 
you know, that supports with their medication therapy management and with palliative care. Um, currently, this service is offered by 80% of community pharmacies in Belgium and reached over 600,000 patients in the first year of its implementation. So you can see that this strategy and strategies like this could work and needs to be studied more and scaled based on evidence. So you said 600,000 screenings, right? Yes, 600,000 patients, you know, screened were reached by this program. Okay. How important is it really for patients to be screened early? Like what time scale are we working in between getting stage one or two and stage three? Because every cancer is different, there is no universal rate at which all cancers grow, right? So some are slow and some are quite aggressive. You never know which one is brewing inside of you unless it is checked and monitored. Whichever the case, um, however, early detection and treatment is the best option, really. But I'm not sure everyone knows that. Okay, um, I'll cite an example from some news that recently broke, like just two days ago. A CNN anchor, um, Sarah Sidna, two days ago, revealed that she has been diagnosed with stage 3 breast cancer. In her own words, she said she has never been sick a day in her whole life, never smoked, she rarely drinks, and breast cancer does not run in her family, so she doesn't have a genetic predisposition to it. However, she has just been diagnosed, and it's at stage 3. Now, that is the last but one stage for cancers. Most cancer, cancers are staged from 1 to 4, stage 1 and 2 being the earlier stages, and stage 3 and 4, being the later and more advanced stages. So back to Sarah Sidna's case, she's a black woman, a woman of color, and black brown women are 41% more likely to die from breast cancer than white women. So this also feeds back to what I mentioned earlier about improving access to certain communities and ensuring that they have access to early detection, which pharmacies could be useful or helpful for. So depending on, on the kind of cancer, Several other factors, many of which are even unknown, it could be slow, it could be aggressive. So early detection, early screening would help because if it's detected early and treated early, your chances of survival are very high. Are there some other aspects of public policy around cancer treatment that we are not addressing? Yeah, I think so. Um, many aspects and many cancers too are not being adequately addressed. So let me use childhood cancers to make a case for this. So feeding back again to what I said about certain communities lacking access. So in developing countries, children with cancer only have a 20 to 30 percent chance of survival compared to children in high income countries with an 80 to 90 percent survival rate. This is despite the fact that childhood cancers are one of the easiest cancers to treat and have very good prognosis and survival rates. But you can see the grim statistics from you know, from low and middle income countries, from developing countries. So more needs to be done in terms of policy for early detection and treatment of these cancers in children. And with children, the timeline to detection could even be worse because depending on the age of the child, they may not be able to articulate what exactly is wrong with them because they are children, right? So they could just probably keep crying and you wouldn't know what the problem is. And because these cancers have symptoms similar to other illnesses, they may not be the first thing to suspect by a parent to start with. And even a doctor, for instance, in my setting where malaria is endemic, a child that could be having cancer could keep receiving repeated treatments for malaria with different anti-malaria medicines. Meanwhile, the cancer is spreading. And because the symptoms are similar for some of the cancers, it worsens the time to detection and proper treatment. So these are some areas of cancer care. These are some issues we need to sort out with you know, policy, 
direct implementation of certain plans and you know all that we need to do, do to arrest this disease. For childhood cancers specifically, would adding pharmacists into the picture uh, help the children or is it some other aspect that's causing issues? Yeah, so for childhood cancers, some other aspects are causing the issues, right? So the medicines are not just available, especially in developing countries. The expertise is not there to detect these cancers early. So we have pediatric oncologists, that's like child childhood cancer doctors, right? But many of them are not really trained in that area of cancer care. So you could just see them pivoting into that, not necessarily because they have that training, but because it's something they care about and they just try to support. So the training is not there, the medicines are not there. Can pharmacies help? Maybe. I can't say for certain because there's no evidence to support that. And that's also what I'm trying to find out with my research. Okay. Well, how is your research addressing these concerns? Okay, so for countries like Nigeria, so part of my research is to develop an implementation framework for improving access to childhood cancer medicines. Um, my supervisor here at the University of Toronto and I recently got a research grant to develop an implementation framework for improving access to childhood cancer medicines in Nigeria. I traveled to Nigeria last summer to collect some data on this and we are currently in the framework development phase. So the WHO and St. Jude's Children's Hospital in the USA are also now focusing on childhood cancers and recently launched a 200 million US dollar platform to improve access to childhood cancer medicines, especially in develop developing countries like mine. However, um, we haven't seen much movement regarding its implementation. And for these children to access these you know, life-saving medicines, we need some movements you know, in that area to happen. So hopefully our implementation framework, when ready and published and you know disseminated amongst these stakeholders, could provide some evidence and some guidance to the WHO, to St. Jude's and similar organizations, you know, working around improving access to treatments for childhood cancer so that these children can get access to the medicines they need to survive and live a good life. Here's hoping that we improve the process to make make uh, detection easier. Thanks for joining me, Otuto, and explaining this whole process to me. Thank you, Pranjo. That was Otuto Chukwu, who is doing his PhD in health policy at the University of Toronto and focuses on cancer treatment. He was recently awarded the Vanier Canada Graduate Award and the International Doctoral Research Award for collecting, synthesizing, and reporting his findings. You've been listening to the JCR, a Massey podcast. I'm Branjil Tawari.